right, good morning, Rimrock Church, Rimrock Downtown. Welcome. Uh, it's a beautiful morning to all be gathered outside. I hope you're finding just the right spot, whether you're uh, sunny or a shady. I don't know. I won't judge, but uh, we're going to start out uh, worshiping our king this morning. So if you didn't grab the words on your way in, we've got uh, some handouts on either side of the meadow with the words to these songs. Um, feel free to join in and sing or sit and, and just listen and worship our king.
Amen. What a beautiful, wonderful, powerful name it is. Evan is going to come now and uh, share some announcements. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, Rimrock. Good morning. Woo! I love this time of year, if nothing else, because shoes are optional when you go to church. My goodness, this is so sweet to see. One church, two campuses gathering together. And you see the size of this community, the diversity in this community. It's phenomenal. I'll just give you a warning for this announcement time. You give a pastor a microphone and you tell him to talk about two things that he's extremely passionate about, and then you tell him he has double the time to do it? <laughs> My goodness. But don't worry. I started as a middle school teacher, so I know t attention spans are fleeting, even when you're 50, 60 years old. So I'll be quick. So the two things that I want to tell you about, first one is community and the power of community. So. When we think about church, and if you even look at the Webster's definition of church, the first two are what we think about, a building and a service. But the third one, it's what the Bible defines as church, ecclesia. It's a community, right? We are the church. Look around you, right? The church is not the building. It's not the service. It is the people that you are surrounded by that believe in the power of Jesus, and so if we want to experience what the Bible tells us can, that can come from church, what do we got to do? We got to get together, right? And this is a great starting point. Once a week, coming together for about an hour is really good. But do you think that could be enough to get the power that the Bible says we can get from it? No way. And so we got opportunities to do that. The first one, it's easy. Hang out here after the service. Watch some people get baptized, which is such a powerful thing, far more than we know, and then eat some food. Get on the jumpy castle, right? Have fun. If you want to go even deeper with this community, check out the bulletin, the handout, right? If you flip past into the middle, you see something called community groups, you will see so many different opportunities to hang out with people for more than just a passing moment on a Sunday morning. This is what is going to help you experience the power that the Bible says we can get from the body, the support, the encouragement, the growth. Right? There's classes, there's small groups. For those of us from Rimrock downtown, we got seven or eight small groups that are going to be starting up October 1st. Of course, we're not quite prepared to promote that yet, uh, but we will. We will. So the first thing, community. If you want to experience more of God, you've got to invest in community. The second one, spiritual disciplines. I know that sounds boring, but it's this idea, similar with community, of being intentional in seeking out God. We've got to be intentional in seeking out other people, but we also, even more so, need to be intentional about seeking out our Creator. Right? And so often people zone out when you say spiritual disciplines, but you, do you know who did that on a regular basis? Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. Even he saw the importance of spiritual disciplines. So both campuses are walking through uh, a gospel. We're at doing John downtown. You guys are doing Mark up here. But I just want to give you one example from the book of John where we see Jesus practicing spiritual disciplines. It's in chapter 6, after he feeds 5,000. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Over and over and over, we see Jesus pulling away in order to be alone with his Father. 
So, if, man, if he does that, the Savior of the world needs to do that, think about how much more important it is for you and I to do that. And this is obviously something that we should be doing on our own, but every year we have something that we've labeled 21 days of intention. 21 days where as a community we are being intentional about setting aside time to seek God, to be alone with him, to understand his will. That starts next weekend, September 4th, 5th, 4th, whatever Labor Day is. And so I just want you guys to understand that, one, the importance and the power of it, but also the fact that there's going to be so many other people from this community setting time apart to be with God. And it's as easy as doing something in the mo every morning, devotional, reading the Bible, whatever. It can be fasting. It can be pulling away for solitude. It's just there's no formula or format that you have to do, but just spend 21 days of being like, all right, God, you are my priority. And it's just what I've seen in my own life, what I've seen in other people's lives, it can be a life-changing event. And what I keep thinking about, if we have 500 people doing that same thing during that same time, man, we have no clue what's happening on the spiritual level. The war that we are waging against the darkness in this place. So those are my two things. Community, spiritual disciplines. If we want to experience more of God, you've got to be more intentional about making those happen. So the beautiful thing about what we have right now, we are seeking God, right? And so let's spend a little time just stilling our minds, focusing in on him as we continue to worship. God, right now we stop and we acknowledge that you are real. That you are the reason why the sun rose. You are the reason why we have breath in our lungs. And we say thank you for that. We are here to worship your name. God, you are amazing. You are above anything else that we know, and we want to experience more of you. So we give you permission to come into our minds, into our emotions, to speak to us, to speak through us. God, have your way in us now, because you are above everything else we know. It is you and you alone we seek right now. You step before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure. I carried the cross for my shame. I sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stay. So, what can I say?
God, we praise you for your faithfulness. God, not because of, of who we are or anything that we have done, but because you have always been faithful and you remain the same. God, so we can put our faith and our hope and our trust in you as our firm foundation. Be with Ben now as he comes and brings the word, God. May we hear what you want us to hear and obey where you want us to obey. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Wow, what a, what a joy to be together on this beautiful day. So good to see each of you. So thankful that we can uh, be two campuses together in one, one place. The last time we were all together was at Easter time. And I, I think uh, what Evan shared is so important for us to be reminded of, that the church isn't just a service. It's not a building. And, and we don't just experience God's presence because of a beautiful place like this where we are surrounded by his creation. The reality, the Bible says we experience God's presence in the people of God who are filled with the Spirit of God. Do you believe that this morning? <laughs> Do you know the Holy Spirit is indwelling inside of you, inside of us? And you know, that's an individual thing, but it's a corporate thing. It's where Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. And so the, the treasure of the church isn't the place where we meet, or the music, or the preaching. The treasure is God himself. Think about that. God himself is the treasure. He is uh, the most valuable, precious, holy longing that is in all of our hearts. Augustine said that the Christian life is ultimately summed up in a holy longing, holy desire for God. And I, I just, I pray as we sang those songs that that desire for God is stirring. Uh, not, not for those secondary things, but for God himself. He is worthy of our praise. Well, I'm, uh, I'm here to, to share the word with you. And uh, Easter, when we were together in, uh, in uh, the Civic Center, we preached, Evan and I, out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. You remember, some of you were there. And uh, we preached on this passage that said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And uh, what's so cool is how the Spirit led out of that. We believe that to do that, we needed to go into the Gospels. And so up here at the main campus, we've been in Gospel of Mark. And I know downtown, you've been in the Gospel of John. And we've been looking at Jesus. And I got to share, like, this has been so... Uh, valuable for me and my faith and my journey in following Jesus. I'm, I'm getting to know him in, in new ways, wonderful ways. I'm being challenged by Jesus in new ways, in wonderful ways. Our vision as a church is to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. And he's doing that through his word. <laughs> Do you believe that? that? That's why as a church we we really want the focus to be on the Word. That's why we have different preachers, both up on the hill and downtown, because we don't want it to be about a man or, or the, a music group or, or a building. We want it to be about Jesus and, and His Word, because it's His Word that, that transforms us, changes us. It's, it's through His Word that He created this place, <laughs> this world, this universe. It says, He spoke, let there be light, and He spoke, let there be life, and He's speaking today through his word. And so we believe that. We want that to be at the very center. And so we're going to focus on the words of Jesus because it's the words of Jesus that accomplishes our vision to be a community 
being transformed by Jesus Christ. He's doing something in us. He's making us into new kinds of people. People that glorify Him, that know Him, that shine His light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. There's a purpose to this life. There's meaning to your life and my life. We're here for God's purposes. And He's made you who you are for a reason. To shine. To see His glory transforming you in your family in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your schools, wherever we go, the Word of God is bringing about life and transformation. Resurrection power is being released into our world through you. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> what a vision God has given us for the church, for His people. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, and I, I know for you downtown, you've been in the Gospel of John, but I think what's so cool is, is the in each of the four Gospels, we see the same story, the same message about who Jesus is and what he said, but from different angles, from different uh, angles of his disciples, of his followers, who, who had the same experiences with Jesus, but, but they saw things differently through their personality and through their experience. And, and I'm so thankful for that because Jesus has a personal relationship with each one of you, but, but we each experience him uniquely and differently. Isn't that amazing that, that God is big enough to interact with each one of us and his capacity is for the billions and billions of people on the planet right today and who've lived through all of human history. Now, now if nothing blows your mind, let that blow your mind. That God is infinite in his capacity to love and to know and to create and he interacts with us uniquely especially with love and concern for each of us. And we see that in the four Gospels, how Jesus interacted and revealed himself through different people. But through the Holy Spirit, these are inspired words. And so uh, I hope for you who normally worship downtown, you'll, you'll see these, these parallels of, of, of what Jesus is revealing through John and, and through Mark. We're going to be in chapter 10 of Mark. And I just want to say one thing we're committed to at Rimrock Church is, is preaching through whole books of the Bible, because it's really dangerous to take one piece of scripture out of context, to, to cherry pick, because you can come away with misunderstanding, mismeaning, and so it's, it's really important to understand the whole story, the whole meaning of what God is revealing to us, and, and you can only do that if you go through the, the whole book, right, to really understand what's, what's being revealed. And so we're going to be in chapter 10, but to understand what's happening here, you really have to understand Jesus's uh, revelation through the struggle with the Pharisees. In fact, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus told his disciples, he said, watch out, watch out. And, and it wasn't just like a, a, a nice gentle watch out, but watch out, be careful. Are there any parents here? <laughs> How many of you have said, watch out to your kids? <laughs> I say it almost every week, right? Because we know there's dangers, right? And we love our kids. We want them to live. We want them to flourish. I believe God wants the best for you. He wants the best for me. He wants the best for this world. He's a good father. He wants the best for us. And a good parent, a good father will always say, watch out, because there's danger. And he said, watch out for the yeast. And yeast is a picture of sin. He said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Watch out for the sin of of the Pharisees and of Herod. And I think that's key to understand this passage and what the Bible is talking about 
Evan talked about a spiritual battle. There's a war waging. And our enemy is the devil. It's this world and it's our own flesh. It's our own sinful tendency within us. And Jesus knew that those three things would rob us of what God wanted for us. His joy, his peace, his kindness, his gentleness, his self-control, his goodness. Satan wants to rob that. He wants to take that out of our lives. And so Jesus said there's these, these two dangers. There's the sin of the Pharisees and there's the sin of Herod. And we learned in Mark that, that really the, the sin of Herod is, is he had John the Baptist killed because he wanted something. He wanted a relationship outside of marriage. And so he pursued another woman outside of marriage. And John the Baptist said, wait a minute, that's wrong. And so Herod had John the Baptist beheaded, had him killed. And so the sin of Herod is, we will ignore what God says. We, we'll ignore the authority of God's word and we'll, we'll create our own truth. We'll discover our own way. We don't need God. We don't need what he says. We'll just do our own thing. This sin of Herod is ripe and is everywhere in our culture. We see it. We feel it. We see the effects of it as our culture has turned away from God and said, we're going to do whatever we want. We're not going to pay attention to what God says. We're going to discover our own truth. That's the sin of Herod. And Jesus said, watch out. It will destroy you. Now, as church people, we can all say, amen. <laughs> right? But Jesus said, watch out for the sin of the Pharisees. And I got to admit, as I've dug into the gospel of Mark, I see t Pharisee tendencies in myself. I see Pharisee tendency in us. And what's the sin of the Pharisees? In chapter 7 of Mark, they had a discussion. And the Pharisees were convinced that you could address the deepest human problems through, um, through rules, through laws, through traditions, through, through behavior. Like if you, if you just get disciplined enough, if you just work hard enough, you can somehow change the deep human problems. And so Jesus had this discussion, this argument with the Pharisees. And by the way, at the end of this, the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus, just like Herod wanted to kill Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was ultimately killed by the religious and the political forces coming together? Watch out. Watch out. And so Jesus tells us that we can't solve the human problem of sin through laws or rules or behavior or our own effort. In chapter 7, he says, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. And so the big problem the Bible is revealing, because God loves us, is that the problem is within us, our sinful hearts. He says, for just as within a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly, all of these evils come from inside and defile a person. I think I said this when we preached through the gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus offends all of us. <laughs> all of us. Like none of us can read the words of Jesus and come away feeling like I'm a good person. I'm okay. <laughs> like he confronts us. He challenges us. He says the problem with the world isn't out there. It's it's right here. Look in here. This is, this is where evil comes from. This is what's going wrong with the world around us. 
So I want to share that as we uh, read chapter 10 because that theme comes up again as Jesus interacts with the Pharisees. And so let's read out of uh, Mark chapter 10. Jesus left that place and he went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him as was his custom. Like wherever Jesus went, there were crowds. And so now it's become a custom, right? (laughs) Everywhere Jesus goes, there's people attracted to him. And he taught them. And some of the Pharisees came and tested him by asking. So hold on to that. This is a testing moment. The Pharisees have an agenda. They want to trap him. They want to kill him. They want to resist him. And so understand that. That's the context here. And they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. Isn't it interesting? Jesus responded with a question. What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Verse 5 is important. It was because of your hearts, and they were hard, that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then they were in the house again. The disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another man commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Praise God for his word. So this week, uh, as I was preparing this message, I I got a a call. And uh, someone was in the hospital. And some of you know this person, Don Balsley. He was uh, the dad of Steve Balsley, who was the pastor here at Rimrock for, for over 10 years. And many of you were deeply impacted by Steve's ministry. And so I've gotten to know Don over the last five years that I've been part of this church. And uh, the, the, the way I knew Don was, it was always Don and Pat. Uh, Pat was Don's wife, and, and they would come and serve, greet people here at church. And, and they were inseparable, always together. And Pat, uh, she... Uh, struggled in the last few years of her, her life with some illness and, and, and difficulty. And, and I got to watch, like many of you, Don care for his wife, Pat. And uh, he was an amazing representative of what a, what a loving husband should be. He served her. He cared for her. Um, they were inseparable. And so I, I went to the hospital last Saturday, and I, I sat with Don, and, and, and uh, it became apparent that that Don is, is in his final battle, his final struggle with life and death. And he's, he's basically facing the end of his life. And, and so I, I got to sit there with him. And I got to tell you, I, I've, I've done this many times with people, but I, I've ne- rarely been with someone who's made me laugh as much as Don <laughs> on his deathbed. He has a great sense of humor. And so we laughed a lot and we cried. And one of the things that struck me as I'm sitting there is, he said, Ben, I can't wait to go to heaven and be with Pat and to be with Steve. And it, it just hit me that, you know, Don, Don was married for 60 years to his wife, Pat. And these last few years have been so hard on his heart as he's been separated from her. And as he's, as he's thinking about 
the final things, the things that are most important to him. We talked about his faith in Jesus. And he has strong hope and faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he's thinking about his wife. He's thinking about those 60 years where they became one flesh. And that, that really impacted me this week as I was going through this passage, thinking about why Jesus shared these words and why marriage is so important. Now, we got to be honest as we're gathered here as a, as a large group of people that we all have different experiences with this. And there's some of you who are sitting there and, and this passage maybe brings up painful things. Maybe you've experienced divorce. Maybe you've experienced adultery. And so there's, there's pain, there's, there's difficulty in these words. Maybe you're single here today and you're thinking, well, is it, is it even worth staying because maybe this doesn't apply to me. Here's what I want to share with you today. There's a door of hope. <laughs> Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save us. My brothers and sisters, if we really look at what Jesus is saying here, there is hope and there's healing and there's redemption. <laughs> if there's any negative thoughts of, of condemnation, accusation, that doesn't come from God. That's not his presence this morning. That's not what God is saying. He convicts us. He exposes our hearts, but, but he never condemns us. He never, he never condemns us. He invites us to himself to experience his healing, his wholeness, his redemption, his forgiveness. And so there's good news. There's good news for all of us this morning as we look at the words of Jesus this morning. So I want to share just a couple things out of this passage that I think are really important. Number one is we have to understand the context of the Pharisees testing Jesus. Remember, John the Baptist was killed for this very issue because he confronted Herod in his adultery, and he got his head cut off. So I think the Pharisees are, maybe part of their thinking is like, hey, if we get Jesus to say the wrong thing, those Roman soldiers staying around, it's going to get to Herod, and Herod's going to have Jesus killed. So there was a testing from that angle. But then there's a testing from the religious side. And I think that's the primary testing that's taking place here because the Pharisees, they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted him to offend people and to such a degree that they could get him into a place where people would turn away from Jesus. But Jesus does something masterful here. He's a genius. <laughs> he, gets, he gets way deeper than the Pharisees could ever, ever imagine. And he wants to go deeper than we can imagine. Because when we read this passage, we, we, can, we can stay on the surface level. And we can, we can react like the Pharisees and say, yeah, people who, who divorce and people who do adultery, they, they, they're, they're, there's something wrong with them. But, but Jesus goes so much deeper. And he actually exposes that there's something wrong with all of us. All of us. And that's why verse 5 is so key. Because the Pharisees, they wanted to, they wanted to make this a law issue. But Jesus goes beyond the law into the very heart of God, into the very heart of man. I believe that the Apostle Paul studied the words of Jesus maybe more than anyone else in human history. And Paul was hungry to know who Jesus was. And remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was steeped in the law. He was steeped in the way of the Pharisees. He thought that the way that this world would be transformed was through law. That's why he was willing to kill Christians, because they were lawbreakers. 
But God got hold of Paul's heart and he read these words of Jesus. And so if you really want to understand this passage, you have to read Romans 1 through 8. (laughs) I wish we had time to read the whole book of Romans because the whole book of Romans deals with this issue that Jesus and the Pharisees are wrestling over. The Pharisees thought that change could happen through the law. And Paul used to think that. But what does Paul say in Romans chapter 3? But now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Praise God. You should be praising God that there is a righteousness outside of the law because we have all fallen short of it. What does he say? This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. This is our hope. This is the good news that this righteousness is found in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Whether you're a Pharisee or you're Herod, whether you've tried to follow all God's ways in your own strength or you've totally rejected and you've said no to God and you've turned your back and you've made a mess of your life. Either way, there's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So brothers and sisters, when we gather here to worship, there are no super Christians. There are no people who are, 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 are higher than anyone else. We come on level ground before the cross because we recognize our need. I love what Rich Mullen said, that the church is the fellowship of the forgiven. What do we have in common? (laughs) I mean, here we are, hundreds of people, and we have different stories, different experiences, but what do we all have in common? We are all sinners in need of forgiveness. We are all desperate for Jesus Christ. He is my hope. He is your hope. He is the only door of hope that we have. And this is what Paul says. We are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And and God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. So in chapter 10, it tells us in verse 1 that Jesus is headed somewhere. Where is he going? Well, we know from the context in Mark two times, Jesus has told his disciples, I've come for a purpose and my purpose is to die. My purpose is to go to Jerusalem and to be crucified and to rise again. And what did the disciples say? No, Jesus, don't do it. <laughs> like, like establish your kingdom through, through power, through the law. And Jesus said, no, it's not that way. Get behind me, Satan. My way is through sacrifice, through the cross and resurrection. And here's the crux of the issue. Here's where the Pharisees are wrong. They thought that it was through human performance or human behavior that somehow they could, be, they could solve hu- humanity's greatest problems. And divorce is one of the greatest problems with humanity. It, it affects everything. It affects all our relationships. And the Pharisees thought if we just have strong enough laws, if we, if we just legalize this strong enough, then it will bring change. But Jesus says, no, verse 5, that's not the problem. The problem is it's because of your hearts. It's because of your hearts. You see, all of our sin will come out. It's going to affect our relationships. It's going to affect our businesses. It's going to affect our government. It's going to affect our world. And we, we see it. We feel it like there's something wrong with this world. And Jesus says, we have to start with the human heart. It starts here. That's why when Evan said, you know, that we spend these 21 days of intentions because we got we to deal with our hearts. We need to invite God into the deepest places. 
This isn't a surface thing. This isn't something where we, we just come to church and look good on the outside. No, no, God looks deeper within. Like Samuel said, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And we can't fool him. <laughs> we can't fake it. This is getting real. God looks inside and he sees what's inside of us. But here's the good news. He doesn't condemn us. He loves us and he calls us to himself. He's calling to you today. Do you hear his voice? He calls to you. He calls to me. He calls us to his salvation, to his hope, to his redemption, to his forgiveness. That's why he was going to the cross. That's why he needed to be raised again so that as dawn is on his deathbed, his tears aren't because this life is ending. His tears are because there's hope and joy, not only in this life, but the life to come because of the resurrection. We need transformation of our hearts. So Jesus addresses the Pharisees, but he also addresses Herod in this passage. And the spirit that would say, we're going we're gonna to make our own way. We don't care what God says. And so Jesus speaks clearly to an issue that is very relevant today. Do you see the relevance of this issue? We're living in a time where people are saying, you know what? Men don't have to be men. Women don't have to be women. You know, you can marry whoever you want. There's no rules. There's no truth. There's no right design. But Jesus says there is a design. There is a purpose. There is a God. And where is it rooted in? Verse 6, but at the beginning of creation, God the first battle that Satan wants to attack in all of our hearts is to doubt the good creation of God. Do you see it? <laughs> like our, our world is bent to destroy that truth that God made this world, that God is the creator and he made this world good. He made it according to his design. It's been fascinating as scientists have, have studied this creation as they've gotten to know more about DNA and they've gotten more to know more about fine-tuning and the, the, the wonder of this created world. It's, it, it, it preaches. Paul says that in Romans 1 that creation preaches. It tells us that God is the creator, that God is the creator, that he is the maker and that he's designed us a certain way. That we're made in his image, male and female. We are made in the image of God. That's foundational. That's, that's foundational to our faith, to our understanding of all things. Everything is shaped by that truth that God is the creator. And Satan's going to do everything he can to attack that truth. He's going to undermine that reality. And he's going to blind us. It says in the Bible that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We're living in an age of blindness. Yet God is revealing truth. I am the creator. I've made all things. And he says he made them male and female. Now, I want you to notice something as we go through this. The focus, what is the focus? It's on God. Verse 6, God. Verse 7, it says that uh, God has called a man and woman to leave his father and mother and be united. And then in verse nine, 8 and 9, it talks about God joining together. What's the focus here? God. <laughs> this is God's design. This is God's deal. This isn't mine. This isn't yours. We don't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's a battle taking place, but God 
is sovereign. He's revealing his reality. He's revealing his truth. And Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot prevail against God and his church, his kingdom. And so this is God's design. This is God's purpose. This is God's revelation. But there's something here really important for us. God's good design is for our good. He made us male and female. And he made us good as male and female. We reflect something essential about who God is and our uniqueness and our genders as male and female. This is critical. God is revealing the goodness of his design and how he made us. Uh, many years ago, um, as the transgender issue was growing in our, in our culture, I talked to a, a man down in Seattle, Washington, and, and he had a ministry to people who were, who were struggling with transgenderism. And, and, uh, and I was asking him, learning, trying to understand, how do we, how do we share the good news of Jesus to, to people who are battling this, this battle over, over gender issues? And he told me, it's really a creation issue. That the Bible reveals that God created us good that we are made in his image in a good way and that he created us male and female in goodness. And the first temptation, the first lie of Satan was to question the goodness of God, <laughs> right? Satan said, did, really, did God really say, well, did, does God really intend the best for us, right? He tempted Adam and Eve with that. He tempts us today with that. He's tempting our world with that today. Is God's design really the best? In John, it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God's way is the right way, the best way, the good way, that will ultimately satisfy us? Can we truly be satisfied? Can we truly be fulfilled in God and who he made us to be? This is the crux. This is the struggle. This is the battle. This is the yeast of Herod that is seeking to destroy humanity. And so Jesus, Jesus is clear. He's crystal clear here. God made us male and female. And God also created marriage for our good. So the first truth is God is creator. God made us good as male and female. And then God gave us a first and primary relationship. A first and primary relationship, the marriage relationship. You know, all of human um, society is built on this relationship. This is the first relationship and is the primary relationship. In fact, I believe the Bible teaches us that marriage is the, the deepest reflection of who God is because we believe God is, is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one God. How, how is that mystery possible? Well, well, God has revealed it in the beauty and the mystery of marriage. We're two very different people. How many of you people got married and, and realized, man, who did I marry? <laughs> They're so different from me, right? <laughs> two very different people. And Jesus says, they will become one. It's the first relationship, the primary relationship that affects all other relationships. And so we think about those who, of you who are married and have children. I always say, if you want to bless your children, <laughs> have, a, have a blessed marriage. The more you love your wife and your husband, the more you grow in unity, the more your children will be blessed. The more you grow in your marriage and your love for each other, the more your neighborhood will be blessed. And your business will be blessed. 
And our government will be blessed. Our church will be blessed. Our community will be blessed. Everything will be blessed out of that first and primary relationship. And we know what happens when that first and primary relationship gets destroyed or gets broken. What happens? There's a rippling effect of brokenness. And we see it in our jails. We see it in our society. We see the effects of the brokenness of that first relationship. And so God is, is telling us, this is my design. This is for your good. And so I always, when I meet with young couples who want to get married, I say, this is for you. God wants to bless you in your marriage and your relationship, but, but there's something more at stake than just your happiness and your satisfaction. God has designed all of creation is dependent on this first and primary relationship. Everything is connected to this first and primary relationship. And God designed it that way to show us who he is, <laughs> that there's a, there's a bigger story than ourselves, that we're not gods. <laughs> Satan tempted Adam and Eve that we would become like God in, in this deep temptation that we have in all of us to try to become God, to try to get our own glory, to, to make life about us, robs us of our greatest joy. That actually we were created for God. <laughs> and we were created for His glory and His purposes. That's why Jesus came to this world not saying, how can I help you? But saying, come to me. Follow me. Come be my disciple. Because He knew that true life could only be found in Him. That we cannot find truth in ourselves. That we must find who God is. And it is only in Him, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, that we can fully realize who we are and what life is all about. We must come to him, and then he orders everything else. He becomes the first, and marriage is a picture of that. What is first in our world? What's first in our life? And so Jesus tells us that the human relationship, marriage is the first relationship, but here's the key to this whole passage, because if you keep reading in verse 13 and all the way down, Jesus is making a point, and he's saying, you can't do this on your own. You need me, you need God in your lives, in your world to solve this problem. Throughout the Bible, adultery becomes a picture of idolatry. And the real issue here that Jesus is driving at, because later in chapter 10, he drives to the very heart of the issue. And the disciples, it says in verse 26, they were amazed and they said to each other, Who can be saved? As they heard the words of Jesus, as they grappled, they realized Jesus is saying, this is impossible. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We can't do this. We can't even do the primary relationship. We can't even love our spouses the way God intended. We can't do this. And any of you who are married know that we can't do this. We can't do this. The disciples said, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible. Do you believe it? Praise him. He's made a way. It's possible with him. It's possible. This broken world can be repaired. God's doing something new in our world. And so every marriage points to a bigger story. A bigger story of God's faithfulness. Did you sing this morning, Great is Your Faithfulness? Did you sing it? It's true. 
We don't know how true it is, but great is his faithfulness because we've all been unfaithful. In Romans chapter one and two, Paul makes the argument whether, whether you're like Herod and you're, you're, you totally reject God's way or you're an observant Pharisaic Jew who's kept all the laws and you've done everything right. He says, all of us have been unfaithful. We've all fallen short. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Hosea and God said, I want you to marry a prostitute and, and she's going to be unfaithful to you, but I want you to be faithful to her. I want you to love her. And he said, this isn't a human story. This is about me and my love for my people, Israel, and I'm going to be faithful to the people of Israel. And it's the story of God. It's the story of us as the church. It's God dwelling with us. His presence redeeming us, saving us. Today we're going to do some baptisms, 20 of them. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. 20 people are going to say yes to Jesus. Each one of those people are going to be pointing us to this bigger story. Because baptism tells us that we can't do it on our own. That we're not good enough. We haven't met God's standard. We haven't been able to do this on our own, that we, we need God, and that's why Jesus came to the world, and we're, we're crucified with Christ, and we no longer live. So when they go under the water, they're proclaiming to the whole world that I have died. I'm not able on my own. But then they come out of the water, and I, I pray, I hope, pray with me that everyone will come out of the water, right? <laughs> but when they come out of the water, we say, hallelujah, that's resurrection, resurrection life this christian life isn't up to us it's god working through us he's transforming us out of all of our brokenness so whether whether you've experienced divorce or you haven't we all have to come to jesus and be transformed and they're going to be proclaiming it to us in hosea chapter 2 this is what god says therefore i'm now going to go to allure her. This is God's faithfulness speaking to his people, Israel, but he's speaking to us as the church. He says, I will lead you into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her, and there I'll give her back her vineyards. And in that valley of Achor, a door of hope. Door of hope. So every baptism is a proclamation of hope. <laughs> that God's taking our broken lives, our broken relationships, and he's making something new out of us. To the kind of people who can reflect his design and his purposes in this world. And that day declares the Lord, you will, he will call you my husband. You, know, you will call me my husband. And you will no longer call me master. I'll remove the names of the bales from her lips and no longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I'll make a covenant for them. As with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, the creatures that move along the ground, bow and sword and battle, I will abolish from the land. God's going to, the war, the violence, God's going to put an end to it so they may lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. This is a love story. And God loves you. He loves us. He's pursuing us. He wants to bless us. He wants to give to us the very best that he has. And he says, I will plant my, for her myself in the land and I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. And I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will be called, you are my God. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up. 
And uh, I want to give time for those being baptized to, to go ahead and make your way down to the river. And so if you're being baptized or your, your family is with you, you go, go ahead and make your way. We're going to sing a song. Everyone else just stay. Uh, we're going to give them time and we're going to kind of organize during this song. But I want to end with Revelation chapter 19 because this is the big story of God. This is, this is where Don and Pat will be united this is where you and I will be united and all those who place their faith in Jesus, all our loved ones, we will be together. And this is what we will shout. Oh, I, I, hope, I hope you can shout today, but we will shout in all of eternity. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. You see, none of us will stand up in there and say, look how great I was. Look how great I am. No, we will all say, God, look how great you are. You are faithful. You are worthy. For true and just are his judgments. Do we believe his word? Not, not what the world, the culture says, not even what our own desires say, what we think the truth is, but, but what does God say? He says, true and just are his just judgments. For he has condemned the great prostitutes. That's the, that's the battle, the enemy of our souls the enemy of our worlds, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah. And a voice from the throne kept saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. May the fear of the Lord come and grip our hearts this morning. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. That's all of us. Together, like a roar of rushing waters, the community of God, the people of God, like peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. It's a love story. God with his people. And his bride has made herself ready. We're the bride of Christ. Fine linen and bride and clean was given to her wear. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. Let these baptisms, let this word speak to you. Come to Jesus. Bring your brokenness. Bring your sin. Bring your shame. Bring your guilt. Experience his forgiveness. Experience the invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus has made a way. You're clean and accepted because of Jesus and his righteousness. These are the true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. This is talking to the angel. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. 20 people today are saying, Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. Worship God. Worship God. This is a story about God. This is a story about God. All of our stories point to God's story. For this is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Let's worship him. darkness 
want to invite you guys to go down now and watch the baptisms. If you want to go down there, stick around. We're going to have food in a little bit and some games and fun things. Excited just to fellowship with you guys today. Thanks so much for being here. Check, check, check. If you could turn that up, that'd be great. Check one, two. I'll walk over here. So it's Janet's and my monitor. Okay. Hey, Charlie. 